I'm going to ask you, if you would, please, to open your Bible with me to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. When you get to John chapter 7, if you would put a marker in there, uh, we're, going to, we're going to leave there. We're going to come back to John chapter 7. But at the beginning, I want to, uh, to look at another passage also. So in light of what Kenny just made reference to, uh, having to do with the harvest, so if you'll look up here in front of you, uh, from where you're sitting, I believe you can see the tops of these piles. So if you'll look over here, you'll see that it says 102 and 315. So there are 102 boxes of Spanish scriptures up here, and there are 315 in each box. And if you look over here, you'll see that's over 32,000 scriptures. 32,000 scriptures. Now, um, when it was getting to be time to know how many we were going to do, we set a goal of 20,000 scriptures. We're going to put together 20,000 scriptures, which is a lot. We're going to do it in three days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're going to do 20,000 scriptures. And that's quite a, that's quite a large number. Um, and then when Larry got here, he said, now, I have 24,000 scriptures here because of the way they're packed on the pallet. And he said, I thought I'd bring them all and then let you decide whether we would do all 24 or whether we just stick with the goal of 20. And I said, well, let's do all 24. Let's just see if the Lord allows us to do all, all 24,000. And so the Lord did allow us in that time. We finished on uh, Wednesday night at uh, 9 o'clock. Uh, we we sp- stayed just a little bit extra. I remember, uh, you know, uh, Monday night at 8.30, um, I said, it's 8.30, it's time for us to be done. And Trish Hughes was sitting somewhere near me, and she said, Everybody, nobody knows that. Everybody's doing so one. Just let them keep going. And I said, no, I need them to come back tomorrow night. And so uh, I said, on Wednesday night, we won't tell anybody what time it is, and we'll just see how, how long we can go. Uh, but by the time we reached 8.30 on Wednesday night, we were inve- truly invested. I mean, we'd already finished with the folding of all of the covers. All of the scriptures had been stuffed into the covers. Basically, it was down to stapling and cutting and boxing. And that was going just wonderfully, wonderfully well. And I knew that it was in our hearts to finish. We started counting the boxes so that we would know when we were going to be getting done. And so we were able to do what that, what that would equate is 78. So we did 78 boxes. And you said, but there are 102. And yes, the other ones were done by Dr. Lucy. These are the John and Romans that he did that were in Spanish, and they're added to this pile here. And so on the 7th, on the 7th, the weekend of the 7th of November, uh, Larry and his wife probably will come back in Alicia. They'll come back, their family will come back, and they'll be with us, and he'll collect these, and he'll take them, and they'll be distributed uh, to Mexico. That, I, I understand, is the target for where these are going to be going. And so we praise God for that. So for the next couple of weeks, these will be sitting up here in front of the church until he comes back uh, to pick them up and to take them. He asked me, he said, uh, would you be willing for me to leave these here? He said, I have more scriptures already in the trailer. Uh, If I add this weight to it, he said, I'm not confident that the trailer will go well over the mountain. And I said, uh, yeah, we will if you'll leave your cutter here with us. And, uh, and he said, what do you need it for? You don't have anything to cut right now. I said, no, I meant permanently. We'll trade you these scriptures for two weeks for your cutter permanently. 
He was not willing to do that, so we just graciously kept the scriptures anyway. He did let us keep one of the boxes that they use to store the scriptures after they've been stapled and one of the uh, little folding tables that they use, the wooden tables, so that we can build a Josiah, so that we can build uh, some of those and have them here in our church family as we go forward. So the, he took, Josiah had already taken the measurements off of all of them, but I thought I'll keep the actual one. If you need to break them down, you can break those down and uh, if you need to, uh, and we'll build and have those for us. Um, so if you're, if you're, uh, if you have your Bible open to John, uh, chapter, um, seven, the passage that John James read, it's verse 39. It says, but this spake he of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. At some point in my life, not that long ago actually, I realized that this verse is really significant to what to your understanding of the Gospels, of all of the Gospels. And if you say, um, could you help me to understand that? Well, if you turn to Acts chapter 1, just turn there quickly if you would, Acts chapter 1. We won't be here long. Just turn to Acts chapter 1. I just want to read a passage, and then we'll go, and we'll look at another passage, and then we'll come back, and we will look into John. So what we're doing is a series called The Christ, The Comforter, The Complete Salvation. In your mind, when you see the Christ, think the Gospels. The Comforter, think the book of Acts. And the Complete Salvation, think of the book of Romans. So John Acts and Romans. If you understand John, Acts, and Romans, then you'll understand the promise of the Father. He promises that he would pay for our sins, that he would come and indwell us, that he would give us a new spirit, and then that we would have a complete salvation, and that is explained to us in the book of Romans. Now, I've come to really understand how valuable the John and Romans actually are. John and Romans, those two books being the books that are typically given as a scripture, the, the, I believe the smallest, um, uh, how would you say this, package of scripture that is handed out regularly to anyone is not a New Testament, it's a John and Romans. But if you understand the power, the message of John, and you understand the, the message of Romans, then you would realize that if you'll just give someone a John and Romans, and they will by faith receive the message, they will understand the, the truth that Christ has come to forgive their sins and send forth the Holy Ghost to change them from the inside out. And this is clearly explained to them in the book of Romans. The book of Romans, while it's often used for evangelism, is not a book of evangelism. I'm not saying you can't use it for evangelism, but it's not a book of evangelism. It is for the young child of God to know what God has already done in their heart and life. Because when you're saved, you do not know what happened right? Your sins are forgiven, you have peace with God, and you know very little other than that. You don't have a great deal of understanding, and God says, let me explain to you what's going on. Starting in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to the end of Romans, God said, this is the complete 
salvation that you now have. And we'll, we'll spend some time when we get to the book of Romans. So this study is simply going through John, Acts, and Romans kind of quickly, not in an expository way. So as we're going through chapter 7 of, of John today, you're going to say, you skipped this and you skipped this. And I'd say, yeah, that's a different study. What I want to focus on today, what I want to focus on every week in this study, is the truth that Christ came to, one, pay for your sin, two, to send forth the Holy Ghost, three, to ever live to make intercession for you. And you have a complete salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ, and you have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. This is what happens when you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, we read this. The Lord Jesus, before he ascends, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait, and I want you to under, underline this, but wait for the, underline this, the promise of the Father. Wait for the promise of the Father. If you and I are going to be the servants of God that we are intended to be, we need the promise of the Father in our lives. The early church could not act or work, and by the way, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. They could not act as they were supposed to until they were indwelt with the Holy Ghost. Don't go anywhere yet. You need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Once you receive the promise of the Father, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, by the way, is going to talk about, but you shall receive power. That's where we realize that it's the Holy Ghost that's going to give us this power. But I want you to notice it says, uh, the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Now, I know I've said this a number of times, but I really want you to lay hold of this because there's not a lot, there's not a great deal. I'm not saying there's no teaching on this, but there's not enough teaching on this. The promise of the Father is not found in the New Testament out of the mouth of the Father. It says, which ye have heard of me. The New Testament, Jesus, is the one that's telling us about the promise of the Father. And so your question has to be, then where is this given? Where is the promise of the Father given? And the answer is all throughout the Old Testament. The pro this is so important. What's wrong with Israel? Why is she failing? Why does she continue to fail? And the answer is because she's living in her own strength. And Jesus makes it very clear through the word of God in the Old Testament. Jesus reveals to us in the New Testament, Israel's problem, Israel's failure, is they are trying to do what they cannot do, and they're trying to do it themselves. It is simply Cain worship. We will do for God what needs to be done and yet they're not capable. But God promises all throughout the prophetic books, I will come, I will change everything. Let me change everything. So we're going to see that. That's what I'd like you to do now. If you turn to me, uh, I want to just look at a brief passage, Jeremiah 31, 31. Very easy to remember, Jeremiah 31, 30. No, I write that in your notes, Jeremiah 31, 31. I know I've, and I've said this a number of times, but this is one of many passages in your Old Testament that we could look at, but we're going to look at this one because I needed to pick one for the purpose of understanding this promise. So the promise, what is the promise of the Father? And here is the promise of the Father being made. Behold, this is verse 31, 31 of Jeremiah. The days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant 
that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. Now let's stop here for just a moment. What was the old, what was the first covenant? What was the Old Testament? What was the Old Covenant? And it was, it's, this is how you can boil it down. Very simply, the Bible says this way, obey and be, disobey and be. What's the problem with that promise? What? You, if you're going to obey, you have to obey. I mean, how good are you at that? Would you, listen, would you rest your eternity on your obedience? Well, you'd be a fool. Abraham did not rest his eternity on his obedience, by the way. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So even when there was an old covenant, the old covenant was meant to cause people to realize this. I can't keep this. I cannot do this. I am not capable of having favor with God through obey and be blessed, disobey and be cursed. And I will simply believe God for what he says he can do, and that's all I will do. And that's how Abraham is saved. That's how David is saved. That's how Isaiah is saved. That's how everybody that's saved in the Old Testament is saved. Is by The same way we are, they trusted in the Christ that was going to come. We trust in the Christ that has already come. It's the same salvation. But the covenant now is better than their covenant because the covenant is this. I will come and make a new covenant not according to the covenant that I made with them that they kept breaking and it caused them to fail. This is what it says in verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. Listen to this. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. And I will be their God. They shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Amen? That's an awesome covenant. So I want you to notice there are three parts to this covenant. The, the, the first part of it, which we find in the book of uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is the forgiveness of iniquity and the remembering of sins no more. Christ has come to pay for our sins so that our iniquity can be forgiven, so that our sin would no longer be remembered by God. And all of God's people said, Amen. Praise God for so, that he would so completely deal with sin in me. Praise God for that. But the second part of it is found up in verse 33. It says, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. Now, this is really remarkable because this is what we find in the book of Acts. This is the promise. Don't go anywhere. Wait for the promise. Well, what is the promise? I'm going to write I'm, by the Holy Ghost coming to live inside you. I'm going to live there. And I will write my law. In other words, we will desire the inward man delights in what? The law of God. The inward man, this is so wonderful. Remember when you were saved? 
And you could not explain why you didn't drink anymore. You could not explain why you didn't fight anymore. And I don't know what you did. I'm just giving you, I mean, I can't go down my list. It's a terrible list. But what changed me? I literally quit drinking just like that. I quit getting arrested for fighting just like that. All the things in my life that were terrible, they changed just like that. How come? I didn't even understand what happened. I didn't understand what happened. But all I knew is this, something's, got, something's different inside now. Something's different inside. I did not understand that the Holy Ghost had come to live inside me. And now the law of God was written in my heart and in my mind. And now I was a different person than I was before. I had completely different desires than I had before. And now we can grow in that grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. We can continue to mature to the love that God wants to accomplish in our lives. This is the power of God. The power of God is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not Christ in church being preached at you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the new covenant. And the new covenant was sealed with his blood. He sealed it with his blood. He paid for our sins. And the last part of it is, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's basically the book of Romans, understanding what it means to have a relationship with God, this level relationship with God. And that's what God wants us to understand. Now, it took me a while to say that. It took me too long to say that quite. I don't mean that in a bad way. What I mean by that is this. I have five points on my message this morning, and it's been a long week. And you're not ready for five points on my message this morning, I don't think. I'd like you to turn back to, to, uh, to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 1. John chapter 7, verse 1. I do not want to rush through this. It, again, I'm not going to preach all the way through John chapter 7, but we are going to go all the way through John chapter 7. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to start this morning. We'll pick up here again next week and we'll finish it. Uh, so that's what we're going to do probably for the next couple of weeks now. But I want you to see this. I want you to see the very beginning. You'll notice on the, on the board, excuse me, on the screen behind me, it says, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. That's how it begins. Let's read uh, John chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. For he walked not in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the feast, excuse me, now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help me. Help me. Help me to convey. Help us all to hear. Lord, bless us that we would see Jesus as he is. Lord, may we truly stand in awe of how great Jesus is. May it actually change our lives today, this morning, in the time that's before us right now. May we be wonderfully overwhelmed with how great Jesus is. May we understand that this is not just historically true, but that this is the ongoing reality of our lives. And if it's not, Lord, those that are here this morning that do not have Christ as their Savior, you invite them, Lord Jesus, in the very passage that we're going to see, to come and to drink and that you would fill them with the Spirit of God and change their lives. You would forgive their sins, and you would fill their hearts. Lord, you accomplish this, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want There's a lot here. I want, I want to start with the phrase, after these things Jesus walked in Galilee. And in order to really lay hold of this, it's important that we go back a chapter to verse 64. Go back to verse 64 of chapter 6. Go back to verse 64 of chapter 6. 
Now, remember, the Lord Jesus had told them to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And people were like, I do not understand what you're saying, and I am not going to keep walking with you anymore. Let's look at it. But there are some of you that believe not, he said. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given of him of the Father. And notice what it says in verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Last week, I pointed a couple weeks ago, actually, because last week we were doing a missions conference. Adam will not humble himself. It can't be God. It must be me, me, me. Even in salvation, it must be all about me. But see, it won't be all about you. Unless you'll humble yourself and receive Christ as he is, you'll not ever receive the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice in verse 66, it says, And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now, what's important for you to understand is he's in Galilee when this happens. Now, I just want you to notice this. Notice how, though chapter 6 ends with many of his disciples in Galilee walking away from Jesus, still he walks for a time in Galilee. You may walk away from Jesus, but his heart is still that you should walk with him. And he is willing to, after these things, walk in Galilee. Now tell me this is not just wonderful. Tell me that this is not truly encouraging, that though they have walked away from him, he still remains in their area so that they could still come to know him. Now I also want to draw to your attention, it says in this passage that Jesus walks in Galilee, and in, and in Jerusalem, in the Jerusalem area, the Jews sought to kill him. Now, I want you to think about this. So the group of people that's not wanting to kill him wants nothing to do with him. The one that came to die for them. One group wants to kill him, and the other group, most of them don't want to walk with him. Tell me that's not just like the world we live in right now. Is it not? It's okay to do anything in America but talk about the Bible. Anything. Anything's acceptable in the United States of America. Anything. Anything. Literally anything. Except for talking about the Bible. If you talk about the Bible, you hate everybody. Even though the Bible preaches love. Even though the Bible preaches forgiveness of sin. By the way, there are people that say that the Bible is just a fairy tale. Well, if that's true, why is it outlawed in 52 countries? Right? Right? Grimm's fairy tales are not outlawed in 52 countries. No other fairy tale book is outlawed in any country. But the Bible's outlawed. Because men love darkness rather than light. If you're going to walk with the Lord Jesus, you need to know this. In John chapter 15, verse 19, it says, Jesus speaking to his disciples, says, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. The word world appears in this five times, five times. Listen to me, look, look, this is really important. If you're going to walk with Jesus, Young people, look at me. If you're going to walk with Jesus, you're not going to be able to walk in this world. 
You're not going to. If you, Listen, if you're trying to figure out how to walk with Jesus and be friends with the world, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to do it. Now, here's what you'll do. You'll compromise your walk with Jesus to be accepted by a world that hates Jesus. Why would you do that? Why, listen, why would you do that? Let me say this. If, listen, listen, I just want you to, if you were on vacation and you were around people on vacation that you realized were petty, selfish, mean-spirited jerks, but in order to fit in with them, you had to be like them, you would say to yourself, I don't need these people. I'm going home next week. I surely do not need to be like these people when it's not what God wants me to be like because I'm only here for a short time. Now listen to me. You're only here for a short time. This world is not our home. Now listen, if you're professing, if you're pretending to be a Christian and your heart is in the world, that's a completely different thing. If your heart is in the world, then your heart is in the world. But if you really are a new creature, this is the struggle. The world doesn't love Jesus. And it's not going to love you. It's not. If it loved Jesus, those who do, I love Jesus. And if I find you walking with Jesus, we're going to get along really well. Because you love Jesus and I love Jesus. We don't have to have anything else in common. I often joke about Daryl Moore being a Yankee fan and me being a Red Sox fan, right? It doesn't matter what we don't have in common. You know what we do have in common? Jesus. And that's all that matters. Really, truly. It doesn't matter where I've been in the world, and I've been all over the world, everywhere I've ever been in the world, when I run into Christians, you know what I have? Immediate fellowship. And it's a spiritual fellowship. And you recognize it. Their ethnicity means nothing. Their education means nothing. Their food means nothing. None of that matters. We love Jesus. And we have just a wonderful time because we love Jesus. And it is glorious. But you know what I found? And I know you've all, the other day I went to an event. It was in, it was in uh, Norfolk. It was down at Waterside. It was intended to be a, a fun time for our grandchildren. And yet I find myself, and I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't have gone there. What I find is this. I'm just not at home in this world anymore. I'm just not. The whole thing grieves me. Not the kids having a good time, but what they're trying to give the kids to have a good time. Do you understand? So much ungodliness, so much worldliness packaged as what the children need. And it's not. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This only matters if you don't want to live in the world anymore. If, listen, if you do want to live in the world, you're slowly going to stop coming to Tidewater. You just are. Because you won't be comfortable here. Because you'll want to be able to go to church and yet have your worldly life, and you cannot do that. And it's not that I don't want you to do that. Jesus doesn't want you to do that. If you are a new creature, then praise God you are a new creature. You may stumble, you may fall, you may do poorly, you may do wonderfully, but you are a new creature. And you'll rejoice that you're a new creature, but you'll be hungry for the word. Has anybody in here that's born again failed this week? Were you aware of it when you failed? Were you almost immediately sick because you failed? That's what happens. You didn't feel like that before, right? I felt, you know when I felt sick? When my mom said, Charles Waylon George. 
right? Or Charles Whalen Pearson after, she, after I was adopted. When my mom said my full name, I felt sick. Does anybody know why? Anybody else ever experienced that? Because if your mom says your full name, you might as well not even go. Because it ain't going to get any worse, right? She might as well come get me at this point. Because it can't be any worse. That's when I felt sick. When the consequences of my sin caught up with me, then I felt sick. Now, because I'm a new creature, sin makes me sick. Even if it's in my life. Amen? Amen. Be of good cheer. Your Lord Jesus has overcome the world. It will not love you. It will not even like you. It will not even tolerate you. And I'm telling you, it tolerates everything else. But it will not tolerate you. And by the way, they're going to call you the intolerant one. While while they're killing you, they're going to call you the bad guy just for walking with Jesus. That's exactly what they did to him. Because men love darkness rather than light. Adam is messed up. All of him. Every one of him. Right? And Adam, by the way, Eve is still Adam. Yes? You understand that, right? Eve was taken out of Adam. All of us running around the planet are Adam. And Adam hates God. But God loves Adam. Amen? And so many of us have learned that love. And it has made us completely different people. And 1 Corinthians, I need you to turn here. Go to 1 Corinthians. I need you to write this in your notes. I need you to turn here. I need you to remember this. I want you to come back to it later. I want you to go back and look at the whole chapter later. 1 Corinthians 15. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15. And there's so much in this chapter, but I want to look at one verse, verse 19. First Corinthians 15, verse 19. This is what it says. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men, what? Most miserable. Isn't that a fascinating truth? If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And you say, what is that saying? This is what it's saying. If this is it, and we're living the way we are living right now, if we are desiring to walk with Jesus and not the world, and this is all there is, then we're the most miserable people on the planet, right? Because we're saying no to ourselves. We're saying no to our flesh. We are selflessly attempting by the power of God within us to love everybody around us and do good for us. Even when they kill us, we'll still be doing good for them. And if this is it, then we're the most miserable people on the planet. But guess what? This isn't it. This isn't it. Just like that vacation. I, I I know I say this a lot, but I can't tell you how important this is. Everybody in here that's ever been deployed understands this. When you're on deployment, you do not expect your home life. Let me say that again. When you're on deployment, you do not expect your home life. And you don't care. You don't want to know why? Because this is deployment. This is not my home life. I am here on a specific mission, and I'm about the mission. When I go home, I'll be home. Once you understand that the whole time here on earth for the Christian is the mission, and in a little while, we'll all go home. Amen? Yes? I tell you what, I still hate Pier 12. Now, some of you don't understand what that means. Some of you do understand what that means. I, I hate all the peers. 
I, I do. I truly do. For a long time, it was we could still get on the base before before nine eleven. We could just get on the base. You could be out of the navy. I, you know, I got out of the navy. I didn't retire from the navy. I've been in for nine years. But if you get out of the navy and you don't retire, you get no access. But you know what? You could still just drive on the base when you wanted to. Drive down to the pier. You couldn't get on the pier, but you could drive down to the pier. And so when people came home from being at sea, our church family remember we would carry signs down there, welcome home, and everything. And we'd go down to greet people coming home, and I'd feel sick the whole time. You want to know why? Because I hate the peers. You want to know why I hate the peers? Because they took me away. You say, but didn't they also bring you back? Yeah, thank God. Yes? Okay, now let me ask you this. When you came back, whether you fly back in or whether you get off the ship, when you get back, isn't it different? I remember, I remember um, being away from this country. I don't remember how long it was. It was like a month. I was in maybe South America. And I rem- no, it wasn't South America. It must have been Asia because I landed in Detroit. I landed in Detroit, and I was happy. <laughs> you know? You want to know why? I'm, I'm not joking. When the wheels hit the ground and I was back in the United States of America, I was like, praise God, I'm back in the United States of America. But now I realize this, mm, not so much anymore. But in a little while, in a little while, just like, again, just like Ronnie just did, we'll take our last breath here. We'll take our first breath here. And we'll finally be home. Yes. We'll finally be home. We are not meant to be comfortable here. You can't be comfortable here. But you can carry out the mission here. Now, some of us deploy, the deployment means many things to many people. It really, really does. Some, some of you in this room really truly go into harm's way when you deployed. When I went in, when I deployed, I got on an aircraft carrier and I was simply away for six to eight months at a time. And by the way, and that's pulling into ports all over the Mediterranean, but still, still, guess where I wasn't? Here. I wasn't here. I wasn't with my family. I missed my wife's graduation from college. I missed my, you miss so many things when you're deployed. You miss your own birthday over and over and over again. It's like every single time I was deployed, I happened to be, you know, it's funny because the joke is, what are they going to do, take away my birthday and send me to sea? And the answer is yes. And my birthday, by the way, falls on a national holiday, and there are no national holidays when you're deployed. You just skip all holidays. Yes? It makes perfect sense. Doesn't it make perfect sense? You can't be like, excuse us, we have a timeout over here, right? Because it's a national holiday for America. (laughs) Today's Columbus Day. I know you guys don't understand what that means, but we got the day off. You do what you want. Just don't come over here. You just can't do that. So you, they, and my, my birthday falls on a holiday. And so they take away your birthday and they send you to sea. None of that matters when you got home. I'm home. We're going home. But not today. Probably not. It'd be okay if it is today. I will say this. You need to understand this. As much as we look forward to it being today, if it's today, there are a lot of people that aren't going home. And that should burden you. That goes back to, that goes back to what... Um, Thomas was saying, these 32,000 scriptures have a purpose. And if Jesus comes to get us, they, they don't, they're not going to fulfill that purpose. And that's okay because he understands. If G- when Jesus comes, it's because nobody else is going to say yes. But guess what? Guess what that tells us you woke up today? Guess why? Because somewhere someone's going to say yes to Jesus and their eternity is going to be changed. Now, don't you want to be about that? Yes or no? Do you really, I mean, honestly, do you really want to be about that? Then don't love the world, young people. Listen, I'm telling you, the strength of our church 
It's also the weakness of our church. Because the strength of our churches are those of you that are young enough to actually have strength. But you're so busy living your life that you're not really any help to the local church. And you should be. And you know those of us that are really helpful to the local church? We're half broke down or three quarters broke down. Amen? Yeah, we know, and we know it. And if we could go back to ourselves when we were younger, we'd say, stop screwing around and do what Jesus wants you to do. Yes? So you know what we're going to say to you young people? Stop messing around and do what Jesus wants you to do now. Not angry, not angry at you, just wanting you to not make the same mistake we made. Because you can say yes to Jesus. Your life can be full of what God wants for you. You do not have to waste your life trying to fit into this world, which hates Jesus anyway. And the only hope they have is your Jesus. That's the only hope they have. The only hope anybody has is your Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible. That's the only hope. Any After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. They hated him. They walked away from him. And he still walked with them. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us this time together this morning. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you just continue to bless us, each and every one of us. Lord, please forgive us for our laziness. Please forgive us for our half-heartedness. Lord, please overcome in us these things. Please bless these young people with an earnestness, causing them to recognize, may they just see, Lord Jesus, just how remarkable you are, that you would walk with people who walked away from you. How marvelous that is that you would love people who wanted to kill you. How marvelous you are. You, Lord Jesus, are worthy. And you have told us you have overcome the world. We can walk with you in peace and in joy, even when people around us do not love you nor us, even when they don't want to hear what we have to say. Their only hope is you and your word. That's their only hope. Help us to help them by being faithful, recognizing that in just a little while when we're all with you, all we're going to care about is that we said yes to you and we're helpful to the people we're around. We thank you, Father, for this and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me if you would. So we'll come back next week to the same place and we'll pick up there. I hope this was an encouragement to you. I really do. I, I really am a, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know um, that I kind of come across as a ranting lunatic sometimes or maybe all the time, I don't know. Um, but I, I, young people, I'm telling you, oh, God help you. And God help Matt and those, and, and Chris, Chris Cromwell is about to start working with the young people. Help, pray for them that they would not distract the children, but help them. Parents, it isn't our youth ministry's responsibility for these children to serve Jesus. It's your responsibility. So when you don't come to things because it's inconvenient, don't believe they don't believe they miss that. They do not miss that. They notice it. When you say this is not that big a deal, but a sporting event is that big a deal, they notice that. They notice what your priorities are. They do notice what your priorities are. You're going to have to choose for your own children whether you're going to walk with Jesus or whether you're going to try to fit into this world. You're going to have to make these choices. The world does not make this easy. It does not. It's very cleverly crafted to take you away from the things of God. It is the whole purpose of the devil is simply to slowly, one day at a time, take you away from the things of God. And you're going to have to say, no, no. 
No to the world, no to the flesh, and no to the devil. No, I'm going to walk with Jesus. By the way, notice that your flesh is not your ally, right? Your enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And your greatest enemy is not the world, and it's not the devil. It's not. I wish that were true. <laughs> the, the greatest, your greatest enemy you look at every day in the mirror. Every day in the mirror you look at the, your greatest enemy, and it's you. Your flesh, listen to me, your flesh still lusts against the Spirit. Every day, your flesh wants its fussy, whiny, pouty, selfish way. Every day. And if you'll not deny yourself and take up your cross, you cannot follow him. And if you will not follow him, you cannot help this world. You're just drifting through it. And God wants us to not just help them, the gates of hell shall not prevail against a church that walks with Jesus. The gates are their defense mechanism, not our defense mechanism. We are not meant to be cowered down like scared little children. We're supposed to trust Christ and go forth and tell them, not arrogantly, not, not like we're superior or better than they are, but we can humbly, joyfully tell them about how great our Lord Jesus is.